Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 says, Pursue peace with everyone and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue holiness. Over the next three weeks, as we take a bit of a break from our chunks of preaching through the year, that's my aim, that we might stop for a moment, that we might gaze upon our God and pursue deeper holiness without which we will not see the Lord. My aim is that over the next three weeks we might be refreshed and re-energised, but also challenged, that we might be led deeper into following Jesus as we gaze upon the holiness of our God, that we'll be confronted by our own failures, that we would be compelled to suffer for the gospel. What I want is for us to listen to the one who said, be holy, for I am holy. Now, as we begin this series of three weeks, these visions of a holy God, it's worth taking a moment to stop and reflect upon what does it mean to be holy? What is this word holiness? What are we talking about when we talk about deeper holiness? Now, really, the very most, the simplest way I can describe it is to say to be holy is to be like God in every way we can. To reflect His character. After all, be holy for I am holy. Be as God is. We can also say that it's to be as much as we can be like Jesus, the perfect man. Deeper holiness will look like deeper likeness to Jesus. And I'll tell you, this this isn't really optional. Deeper holiness isn't something that's reserved for special Christians or particular branches of Christianity. This is what it's about. Deeper holiness is what is required of us as God's people. I mean, Hebrews 12 is stark. Without it, you will not see the Lord. Without it, we will not be who God has called us to be. And so over three weeks, as we consider holiness, as we talk about becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus, I want to take us to three different visions in the Bible of God's holiness. Two of them in the Old Testament, one in the New. And this week we're going to begin with the vision of Isaiah. And that's from Isaiah chapter 6, the passage that we had read for us. Now Isaiah's experience is both unique and very special. I mean, he was a quite a remarkable prophet of the Lord but also in some ways quite normal. What is it that we can learn when we come before the Holy God and learn about ourselves and learn about God? Now I'm going to read through Isaiah chapter 6 again. You'd find it helpful if you've got your own Bible to have it open. Always a good practice to have your Bible open as the preacher speaks. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, it gives us the context. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, the hem of his robe filled the temple. Now, to set the scene for us, this is the year that King Uzziah died. You can go and read about it Uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, is one particular account. Uzziah was a king that started out well. He started out leading the people in the ways of the Lord. But then for some unnamed sin, he was filled with pride and, well, basically tried to do a bunch of stuff he shouldn't have done, and for that, he was struck down. Now, it's a little bit of context, but it'll become relevant very soon. Uzziah was struck down with leprosy. 
particular disease of the skin that made a person unclean. In fact, for the rest of his life, he lived as an unclean man. And again, fascinatingly, in 2 Chronicles 26, it names Isaiah as the one who recorded the details of Uzziah's life. So there's something kind of important about Uzziah going on with Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah had an incredible vision. It's one of those sentences that we could all too easily just read straight over, just ignore and move on. But really, they are quite remarkable. I saw the Lord. If you're familiar with the God of the Bible and the way he relates to people, any time he ever appears before anybody, the expectation is that they will fall down dead. The expectation that to see God is to be before one who is so holy that any one of us would simply be destroyed. And what a vision Isaiah sees. The Lord seated on his throne. And to give us a sense of scale, the hem of his robe filled the temple. Not like the, the, you know, the cascading, the massive robe that he was wearing just, but no, no, the hem. I, my most regular encounter with hems is my daughter's dresses, right? As they grow, my wife has to take the hem out to make them a little bit longer and stretch them a little bit further. And right, we're talking a little thing about this big on our clothes. It filled the temple. The attendants of God were just as marvellous as he was. Verse 2, seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they flew. These burning ones attending the Lord. I mean, you imagine just being Isaiah. For, just try and put yourself into his feet for a moment. right? Go back to being an Israelite of those days. The temple was there and the temple had its holy place and its most holy place and inside that place where basically nobody ever got to go, separated by this incredible curtain that ensured you wouldn't even get a glimpse in there. Right in there was the Ark of the Covenant with the little statues built over it and the stone tablets that Moses had the law on, the staff of Aaron that had budded. And you maybe, maybe, once in your life, got a glimpse of what was in there. You might have gone your whole life wishing that you could just see this little place where God was said to dwell. And here is Isaiah, gets to see the Lord. It's not just a vision with sight, it comes with sound as well. Verse 3, one of these seraphim called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the earth. As the attendants don't just see God in his majesty, God in his size and power. They see his character. They see his holiness. Three times they repeat it. Holy, holy, holy. This is God. And at the side of this, in verse 4, the foundations of the doorways shook. The sound of their, at the sound of their voices, the temple was filled with smoke. You can only imagine Isaiah's response. Here is a man whose mind must have truly been blown. To be before the Lord, to hear his attendants proclaim his glory. Wow. 
Really, in some ways, Isaiah got a, a foretaste of, well, the point of it all. Isaiah got a tiny little glimpse of what it's all about. After all, what we yearn for, what we live for, what all the creation is driving towards is God's holiness being seen, God's glory. That is his purpose. That's God's purpose, is for his glory to blaze throughout the universe, to be known by the people that he has called and chosen as his own. And here is Isaiah getting to see it for just a little moment the one who was made to be known and to enjoy God forever, gets to see him and experience him. What a marvel. John Piper, an American preacher, put it like this in in his book, God is the Gospel. I love this paragraph. I'd like to read it for you, if I may. He says, The ultimate good of the Gospel is seeing and savouring the beauty and value of God. God's wrath and our sin obstruct that vision and that pleasure. You can't see and savour God as supremely satisfying while you are full of rebellion against him and he is full of wrath against you. The removal of this wrath and this rebellion is what the gospel is for. The ultimate aim of the gospel is the display of God's glory and the removal of every obstacle to our seeing it and savouring it as our highest treasure. Behold your God is the most gracious command and the best gift of the gospel. If we don't see him and savour him as our greatest fortune, we have not obeyed or believed the gospel. What What a way of putting it. To know, to see, to savour, to be satisfied with the grandeur and the greatness of God and his glory. That's the point of it all. And Isaiah got to see it. In fact, Isaiah saw it not just in this one vision, but God taught Isaiah the gospel. What was going to happen? This suffering servant who would come and remove the barriers to living fully in God's vision. I'm not asking you today to somehow imagine that picture that Isaiah saw. That's not what I mean when I want you to gaze upon God's holiness. I don't mean that we need to somehow conjure up in our own mind images of who God might be and what it might look like to be before him and perhaps try and have an Isaiah moment of our own in some way. Because we've got something better. I know it's a remarkable thing to say, given what Isaiah's vision was. But we have something better. You see, when Jesus came onto the scene, this is how John described him. This is from John chapter 1 and verse 14. He says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory as the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Isaiah got a glimpse of God upon his throne. Isaiah got a little moment, a little taste of what was to come, but we now see it fully and perfectly and completely in the Lord Jesus. You want to have a vision of the holy God like Isaiah had. You don't need to whip yourself into a frenzy or go into some sort of ecstatic worship experience or 
He just looked to Jesus. You come and find the perfect man, the perfect God, who lived the perfect life of obedience to God, for whom sin did not mar the representation of God's glory, for whom God's wrath poured out on wasn't for his sake, but for ours. You want to see the holy God? Look to Jesus. And I'll tell you, if, if, if you haven't been gripped by this vision, right? if you haven't been gripped by the sense that God's glory is supreme, that the display of his holiness is supreme, then ha- have you even understood the gospel? I tell you what, if we don't have that sense that God's holiness is what it's all about, then we are missing out. And we are selling other people short. It, it ought to colour everything. Every, every conversation we have, every time that we encounter Jesus, absolutely. Right, Every time that we're in prayer, every time we've got our Bible open, every time we come to church and have fellowship with God's people, every time we are, we're meeting with someone else, it ought to be shaped and coloured by us delighting in the glory of our God, by us rejoicing in his character and what he has done for us by our minds being blown by who our God is. Resonant conversations with that note of awe at God. After all, isn't what we want that those around us might see and gasp at who our God is. If you want deeper holiness, It begins, it starts with gazing upon the holy God. But it doesn't stop there. Because something happens when we gaze upon the holiness of God. And that is we must face our own unholiness. You want deeper holiness, then what we must do is face our own unholiness. You see, this was Isaiah's reaction when he saw this vision of God back in Isaiah 6 and verse 5. I said, woe is me, for I am ruined. What a statement, undone. I'm stuffed. (laughs) To pick up on our Western suburbs way of speaking from Adam last week. Ruined. Undone. I, I have. That's it. That's it. That's the end of me then. Why? Continues on, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Now I tell you, reading that verse, it strikes me as a little bit strange, right? To say, I'm a man of unclean lips. I would have thought an unclean mind, an unclean heart, just I'm unclean. Why the unclean lips? Well, this is where we come back to King Uzziah. You see, if you go and look through the Old Testament for somewhere where you can find a reference to uncleanness and lips that go together, you you really only find one place. Uh, It's in Leviticus chapter 13. In fact, I'm going to read it. Uh, Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 to 46. It says this, as it speaks about people who have various skin diseases, Leviticus 13, 45, the person who has a case of serious skin disease is to have his hair, his clothes torn, his hair hanging loose. He must cover his mouth, his lips, and cry out, unclean, 
unclean. He will remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. King Uzziah was a man with leprosy. King Uzziah was a man who was required to cover his lips for he was unclean. In fact, so unclean that he would remain cast out. I am a man of unclean lips, says Isaiah, and I have seen not just the king who has died, but the king. Like the leper, the marker of his disobedience and its consequences, the marker that Isaiah knows himself to be like the leper, in and out, unclean, not worthy to stand before the holy God. As you and I gaze upon the holiness of our God, there's nothing for us but to shut up and say unclean, ruined, undone before a holy God. You know, the right knowledge of sin is at the heart of all saving Christianity. If, if you don't understand that truth, if you cannot see yourself in this light, then you will never come to Jesus to trust in him. You will never come begging for what he offers. We must realise that when we come before our holy God, we have nothing to say. I wonder, do we, do we truly believe this? Do we truly recognise that we are ruined, that we are undone? That as we gaze upon God's holiness, we flee to Jesus because we know ourselves to be this bad. Isaiah is expecting God to destroy him, but verse 6, something remarkable happens. One of the seraphim flew to me. In his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. Man, we're expecting pain right now. But verse 7, he touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed. Your sin is atoned for. That's just yet another remarkable part in a remarkable vision. One of the burning ones picks up a coal with tongs. That in itself is strange enough. But then bringing this particular little coal, expecting judgment and pain, expecting the wrath of God, instead... Seemingly effortlessly, as if nothing, Isaiah's sin is dealt with, his uncleanliness removed, atoned for, paid for. What a remarkable reality that God might deal with sin seemingly so easily. The reality for us, we know, is that sin is dealt with anything but easily. It is dealt with in the death of God's own Son, And yet as we come to God, as we stand before him ruined, gazing upon his holiness, he deals with our sin in that way. Like Isaiah, you and I, we we serve, we speak, we live as forgiven sinners whose unholiness has been exposed by the holy God and dealt with by the fire of his wrath pouring upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so deeper holiness, as we gaze upon the holy God and as we face our own unholiness, must lead us to a deep-seated willingness to suffer for the gospel. 
to share the message that has been committed to us, knowing how incredibly important it's been in our life, how essential it's been, how necessary, how this has been the only way that we could stand before a holy God. We will share it with others, even if it means we suffer. You see, verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who shall I send? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. Why does God ask a question? Does he, does he not already know? Oh, oh who am I going to send? I mean, uh, I guess there's that guy that I just appeared to and there's this vision and there he is. And Do you want me to involve you, Isaiah? And Isaiah's contribution, this little squeak. <laughs> Here I am. Send me. Oh, that that would be our heart. Oh, that that would be your heart. That knowing the glory and the holiness of your God, knowing yourself to be undone by it, and the forgiveness, the cleansing, the salvation that has been brought in the Lord Jesus Christ, that as God looks upon his people and says, who will go? Who will I send? Who will stand for me and declare my glory that we might say, here I am, send me. It's not a lot, is it? In the face of this incredible vision, in the grandeur and the splendor and the trembling and the noise and the smoke and the Lord God Almighty with fiery servants and altars burning with coals and the booming voice of God, who will I send? Isaiah, just me? Weak? Pathetic? And yet that is what God uses. Calling us to speak What will I say? Well, verse 9, God replied, go and say to these people, keep listening but don't understand. Keep looking but don't perceive. Make the minds of these people dull, deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. These are words that Jesus picks up on. You might remember the parable of the sower as Jesus was talking about the shape of gospel ministry, what happens as God's word goes out. As you and I pursue deeper holiness, gazing upon God and facing our own unholiness, as we are prepared to suffer for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to speak the message of salvation that God has given to us, we ought to go expecting that this will be the shape of gospel ministry. That we proclaim God's word that we tell people about Jesus, that we share of our own trust in him and then watch as God works both in salvation and judgment. That we watch as God brings some to life and hardens others before our very eyes. You know, I think that this is both the greatest joy and the most sobering reality of the Christian life. As we pursue deeper holiness, as it leads us to speak more, we will therefore suffer more. I mean, we'll suffer more ourselves as we face more of our own sin. I think when we talk about evangelism, it's probably where most Christians have the most guilt 
I know I should, but I know how little I do. But actually we're going to face suffering from external sources as well, as they hate both the message and the messenger, as they reject both the Lord who died for them and us who bring them the message. Until when, Isaiah asked, well, until the end, until judgment is finished, until the day of Jesus comes, until it is all brought to an end. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. I wonder for you this week, as you reflect upon this, as you perhaps are captured with this desire for deeper holiness, I wonder where it is that you might begin. Is it that you need to gaze some more upon the God who is holy? You need to spend some time with the Lord Jesus Christ. I've, I've taken up readings through the Gospel of Mark just this week, and I'll tell you what's fascinating. Even just Mark chapter 1, there's so much of Isaiah in that one chapter. To gaze upon Jesus and see in him the character that God would have me live out the way of acting that God wants from me, the courage, the boldness, the dependence upon God in prayer that God would ask of me. I wonder if what you need is to face your own sin. You know, I think the best thing for this, the easiest way of doing it, is to make sure you're surrounded by other Christians. We can hide even from ourselves, we can pretend but you spend enough time with your life living it alongside other Christians and they will see your sin and they'll help you to see it too. Having a family, your own children, they'll expose your sin. Your spouse, they'll expose your sin. Your friends, they'll expose your sin. Undone, ruined by this holy God that we might flee to Jesus. Or perhaps we need to reflect upon the boldness and the courage that this requires of us to seek to suffer for the gospel of Jesus, not as masochists, but because we want others to hear this message, that the holy God, the one that we delight in, the one that we seek our satisfaction and joy in, the one for whom it's all about, has removed the barriers to our enjoyment, has fixed the problem of sin and has already poured his wrath out on another, that we might be able to come and truly find a vision and a pleasure in the beauty and value of God that is utterly and completely unobstructed by sin or by wrath, that we might truly obey and believe the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the vision you gave to Isaiah and the ways in which we can learn from that that he saw you, that he was undone in his sinfulness and that led him to seek to suffer as your messenger in this world. Father, make us like him. Show yourself to us in the Lord Jesus. Teach us your holiness that we might know our own unholiness, that we might see and savour all the more what you have done in the gospel of the Lord Jesus for us and that this would compel us to take that saving news out into the world, suffering though it may produce, determined, determined that your glory would resound, that your holiness would be proclaimed. Father, please 
Take each one of us into deeper holiness. And we ask this that we might live for you and as your people, delighting and enjoying you. Amen.